My name is Brad. 
I'm the lead pastor here at Southview, and it's great to have you today worshiping Jesus with us. Hey, I want to ask everyone, let's go ahead and stand. We're going to begin worshiping together here. Ephesians chapter 2, in verse 1, it says that before you knew Jesus, you were dead. Dead in your sin, dead in your junk, dead in this world, you're dead. But it gets to verse 4, and it says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Listen, you were dead, and Jesus has made you alive. So I want you to worship today with a heart full, with loud voices, praising Jesus for making you alive. And I want you to have in your thoughts, if Jesus can make you alive, he can make anybody alive. And if God can do a miracle in your life, he can do a miracle in anybody's life. So that means there's no circumstance, no situation, no trial or tribulation in which Jesus Christ cannot bring it from death to life. So Jesus, today we thank you. We come today praising you, Jesus, as the great life giver. And we ask you, Jesus, that you'll be glorified, that you'll be lifted up, that we would see you for who you are, the giver and sustainer of all good and glorious life. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.
You may be seated. Let's listen to this week's announcements. Good morning, Southview. We are happy you're here worshiping with us today. Now here are your three big announcements for the week. Men, our quarterly breakfast is coming up soon. Saturday, November the 4th at 8 o'clock. It's a great time for fellowship, getting together with like-minded believers and fantastic food. Register soon though, because space is limited. Text BACON to 910-424-1298. Our annual business meeting is coming up soon, Sunday, November the 12th, 4 to 6 p.m. and the Family Life Center. However, the budget will be available for a review two weeks prior to the meeting in the Welcome Center. You can see the budget beginning Sunday, October the 29th. If you have a student who is away at college or know of a student who is far away from home and they need some encouragement, we would like to provide godly encouragement for them. Simply text the word COLLEGE to 910-424-1298 and help us learn some basic information about them and find out specific needs that he or she may need. We encourage everyone to download the Southview Baptist Church app. Simply go to iTunes or Google Play and download the app. This will enable you to see other announcements, find a journey group, sign up for important events, Get notes for today's sermon or view previous sermons. There are multiple ways to give here at Southview. You can use our online app, which is safe and secure, or you can leave your donations in the giving boxes as you exit our sanctuary. If you're a guest here with us today at Southview, we are really glad and honored that you chose to worship with us. We'd like to get to know you a little better, and you can help us with that. Simply text the word CONNECT to 910. 424-1298. That way will help us to know ways that we may minister to you or pray for you and your family. And again, thank you today for worshiping with us here at Southview. And now let's all join together as we go back into our worship service. Oh, in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, Jesus is teaching on the kingdom. And he gives us parables. He tells a story about a guy that finds treasure and he takes that treasure and he buries it in a field. Then he goes and sells all that he has and goes and buys that field so he can get that treasure. And that treasure is so great and so glorious and so amazing. The guy was willing to get rid of everything else because he knew that treasure was bigger and better. And the, the point of the story is Jesus is the treasure. And then when you see how glorious and amazing and perfect and beautiful he is, you gladly give up everything in this world that seeks to rival in your heart and bring you away from the things of Christ. When you see Jesus for who he is, how worthy he is to be glorified and worshipped and loved and revered and magnified and made much of, then you just go running after him. So that's our desire for us today, that we would see Jesus for who he is how beautiful and glorious and amazing he is. That he will worship him, magnify him, lift him up as that. So I want to ask you to stand with me again. We're going to worship together. And Lord God, as we worship you, I pray, Jesus, that you would show us who you are. Open up the eyes of our hearts to see you, Jesus, for who you are. How worthy you are. 
And we will gladly turn from everything in this world and just come running after you. Jesus, we love you and we need you. We pray that you'll be glorified today. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Join you when you rise. When you return in glory. 
the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. At his wrath, the earth quakes and the nations cannot endure his indignation. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Father's heart, I trust in who you say. 
Amen. Amen. Hey, if you have a Bible, let's find Ephesians chapter 1 together. Ephesians 1, while you're finding that, a couple of quick announcements. One, um, we are beginning uh, Operation Christmas Child, uh, preparing those boxes. And so you'll see up front here on the platform uh, the Operation Christmas Child boxes. You can please come up here and grab one, take them, fill them out, and bring them right back here. That's where they're going to be uh, delivered. Also, today we are having a, uh, a lake fellowship and baptism right after this service, all right? And that's the address. Chris and Rebecca Calhoun are hosting us, and uh, that's their address, uh, 129 Bayshore Drive. Let's grab that. Head on over right after this. We're going to have barbecue. Oh, Right, barbecue, baptism, and cornhole. It's like the Baptist Trinity right there. All right, so come hang out with us. We're going to have a blast all afternoon just hanging out, having fun together. Um, So right afterwards, going over. Even if you haven't signed up, come on. We're going to have plenty of food, so just come on over. Um, I just made that executive decision. I have no idea if that's even true or not. But tell them the guy with the mic said it's okay. They'll let you in. Um. So we're in a series that we're calling More, and and the idea behind the series is uh, throughout the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, so the majority of your New Testament is written by a guy named Paul. Remarkable story. You can see his conversion in the book of Acts. Um, He goes from a great hater of Christianity and persecutor and murderer of Christians to being the Apostle Paul, the the great... um, leader of the Christian faith, the great missionary, the great theologian, author of the majority of the New Testament. But as he's starting these churches and pastoring these churches, um, you see throughout the New Testament, he's writing letters to them and he writes prayers to them. Here's what I'm praying for you. I'm praying this for you. I'm praying this for you. I'm praying this for you. And they're called the pastoral prayers, uh, the Pauline pastoral prayers. And so we're walking through those over the next few weeks and just seeing how God desires us to pray and what the Apostle Paul was praying and how we should be praying and what God is desiring to do in us. And, and we're, we're summing it all up by saying this. God is desiring to do more in you than you're even realizing right now. So the question that I want you to consider here is, am I experiencing all of true life in Christ? Is there more? Is there more still available for me? Uh, last week we looked at the idea of hope in Romans fifteen thirteen, uh, and we prayed, God, let us have more hope in you. Uh, today in Ephesians 1, we're going to be praying, God, let us see more of you. Let us just see more of you. Uh, so as you read through the book of Ephesians, um, chapter 1 of Ephesians in the Greek is actually just one giant run-on sentence. Right? That's chapter 1 of Ephesians. It's one giant run-on sentence. My wife is an English teacher, and it gives her the shakes just thinking about it. One giant big run-on sentence. Why is he doing that? Because in the Apostle Paul's mind, like one of the great things as you read, if, if you really kind of get into some Greek, one of the things the Apostle Paul does is occasionally he literally cares nothing about grammar. He intentionally breaks those rules because he's trying to help you understand and see something. Right? And so throughout Ephesians 1, 
It's one big giant long sentence. And he's just, he's just stacking up this truth and this truth and this truth and this truth and this truth. And the idea behind it is he wants to just pile on and pile on and pile on. He's making it bigger and bigger and bigger. He's trying to show you more and more and more of what Christ is doing in you, what he has done for you, what he desires to do in and through you. And he's getting bigger and bigger and bigger for the point of you understanding, wow, there really is more. So as you read through Ephesians 1, you're going to see in verse 4, he says that we've been chosen before the foundation of the world. Verse 5, we're adopted into God's family. Verse 7, we're completely redeemed and forgiven of all of our sins. Verse 11, we're promised heaven as our inheritance um, uh, when we die. In verse 13, we're given the Holy Spirit of God, literally God himself living inside of us. And the idea is, as the Apostle Paul is laying all of this out, this truth, and this truth, and this truth, and this truth. He eventually comes to what we know as verse 15, and he just stops. He says, you know what? I just got to pray. You ever been in a situation where the only answer you have is, you know, we just got to stop and pray right now. Right? Only God can do this thing. We got to stop and pray. And that's what the Apostle Paul is doing here. He's laying out such enormous, glorious truths of the gospel. He stopped and says, hang on a second, hang on, wait, 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 wait. The only way any of us are ever going to get this is if God does it, so we got to pray and ask him to do this. Now let's just stop and pray. And so that's what we want to pick up today. What was this prayer that Paul had to stop and go into? Right? You're writing a letter and you are so burdened by what you're presenting, you stop and you pray in the letter. Right? He is proclaiming great truths, and he knows that God is the only one who can really do this. So he stops and prays. Let's pick it up in verse 15 and see what that prayer is, okay? Ephesians 1, verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Here's his prayer, verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Uh, I want you to go back and look at verse 17. We'll throw it up on the screen. I want us to highlight verse 17 just for a second before we dive into the rest of it. There are a couple of things I want you to see here about verse 17, okay? Um, one, I want you to notice what he's praying. He's praying first that we, that the people, that we would have an intimate knowledge of God, an intimate knowing. Um, Christianity is not about what you know. It is about who you know and who you're in relationship with. It's not just about knowing things about God. It's about being in intimate relationship with God. 
And he's praying here in verse 17 that we would know God. Have this this spirit of wisdom and revelation given to us in the knowledge of God. Now, there are a few words in the New Testament for knowledge. One is oida. Oida is a fact-based knowledge, right? I know Raleigh is the capital of North Carolina, right? I know this. That's not the word used here. The word used here in verse 17 is a word called gnosko. It's an experiential knowledge. It's something you know because you lived it and experienced it, right? It, it would be the difference between you reading a book on electricity and you sticking a fork in a light socket, right? Your oida just went to gnosko, yeah? Right? You knew things about electricity. Now you've experienced it, yeah? Or, or, or with your kids, especially if you have multiples, if we have four uh, if, you're, if you get up in like the three, four, five range, how you raise that last kid is significantly different than how you raise that first one, yes? That first one, man, you're wrapping them in bubble tape, right? It's like, oh, no, we've got to put foam things in all the corners. We've got to make sure. That last one comes around. It's like, let him fall down the stairs. He'll learn. He'll know. Hey, the only way to know is, that, hey, give your brother a fork. Tell him to stick it in the socket, all right? He's got to know. He's got to know. That's that gnosko. That's that experiential, like, oh, I know, I, not just I know a fact, I know personally and by experience this thing is true. That's the kind of knowledge that the Apostle Paul is praying for here. And I want you to understand that distinction. He's not just praying that you know things about God. Now, that is important. You must know truths about God in order to experience Him rightly. But he's praying that, that you go not just from what we know, I... I cannot count the conversations I have with people who know things about God but do not really walk in experience in life with Him. You know things, you know Bible verses, you know doctrinal truths, but do you live this? Is this an experience? I want you to see first, as we're, we're walking through this prayer, the Apostle Paul is praying that we would not just intellectually know things about God, but we would experience Him, we would see Him. Right? We would know him. We would dwell with him. We would live with him. It would be our life. The second thing I want you to see is that this is a gift. Right? It says there in verse 17 that the, the God of glory may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I want you to notice we're the passive recipients of this. Right? He gives it to us. We don't grab it by our own effort. We don't work towards it. We don't attain it as much as it's a gift given to us, right? The Bible would say in John 3 that the flesh only stirs up more flesh. It's the Spirit who is the only one who can give us things of the Spirit, right? So we need God to give us this. So how does that work, right? So you've got verses like um, Ephesians 1, 17 here that says that it must be a gift from God. But during the worship time, we just read Hebrews that tells us that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. So which one is it? Is it just a gift from God or do we have to seek it and he rewards and gives it? Like, how does that work? Well, you're in luck because the answer is yes. Think of it like this. Think of it like building a fire. So I don't know what it is about guys. We love fires, right? So if, like, if we made a fire tonight at my house for the kids who do s'mores, the kids would be done with it in about a minute and a half. And Marino's, I'm going to stay out there for another three and a half hours just messing with the fire, right? That's just way, it's just the way this thing works. So what are you doing, right? It's about how you build it, right? It's, you got, have the, the 
wood in just a certain way. You got to have the right kind of kindling, the right kind of wood. It's got to be aged. It's got to be ready. It's got to be prepped. You can't just throw anything on that fire. You ever, every dad in here knows, like, someone tries to throw something in the fire that doesn't belong in the fire. Like, what are you doing? You're going to mess my fire up. Don't throw that in there. What do you do? You need two things. You need the proper wood placed in the proper way. The second thing is you need an outside heat source to bring a spark. This is the way it works with this. God is the giver. God is the one that has to give this insight, give this understanding, give this revelation, give this experience. God has to be the one that does this. We can't stir it up on our own. And at the same time, you can't bring a fire where there is no wood. Yeah? There's got to be something to consume. There has to be fuel for the fire. So here's the way this works. As you spend time in God's word, as you spend time in prayer, as you spend time with God's people, as you're seeking to, to, to do those things, what you're doing is you're adding kindling to your fire pit. You're stacking up your wood. You're getting ready. And then we pray for the Spirit of God to bring a spark. He's the giver of the spark. He's the one that sets the wood on fire. But if there's no wood, there's nothing to set on fire. So that's the problem. Two things. Either many of us, you're not setting any wood in your fire pit. You're not seeking to spend time in God's Word. You're not seeking to, to pursue prayer. You're not seeking to be around God's people. You're not putting yourself in a position where you're going to be in a room with a small group of people and you're going to be spending time in the Word together. You're not putting yourself in that spot and then you stand up and go, why is there no fire? Well, because there's no wood, bro. You don't have any wood in your pit. There's nothing to catch on fire. You have to put yourself in situations Place yourself under the waterfall of God's grace and believe that he will bring the flood. Place yourself there and then pray for the spark. Pray for the spark. You can't make the fire start. That's a gift from God. You can't drum that up. But if there's no wood there, there's nothing to get caught on fire. So this is where we are today. What I want us to do is I want us to see the spark that God desires to give. And I want us to have honest conversations about how do we put wood in our pit so that God has something to set on fire. Make sense? So let's jump in together. Ephesians chapter 1. All right. So I'm going to break this text down into four things. All right. Four uh, prayers that we're going to pray. Asking God to do things in us as we see what he desires to do. And, and, and as you look at verse 18 um, here in just a moment, as you look at verse 18, I want you to notice... Something else that, that the Apostle Paul is praying, the way he's describing this, he's praying that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened. He's praying that the eyes of your heart would be open to really see God for who he is. So this is our prayer today, that you would see God for who he is and that you would experientially know him as that. Right? You would see him and experience him and live in him as this. Not just intellectual knowledge, not just head knowledge, not just a verse, not just a doctrinal statement. You see clearly through the eyes of your heart and the spirit empowerment who God really is. And then you experience him and live in him and enjoy him and walk in the reality of who he is for you, in you, through you. All right, so let's jump in. What are the four things that we want to see in this text? That we're praying. One is this. We want to pray that we would see and know the certainty of our hope. Verse 18, 
Again, praying that the eyes of our heart will be enlightened, that you may know, experience, live, dwell in the hope to which he has called you. Not just intellectually know that you have a hope, but live it. Have you experienced the hope of God? Uh, Last week, we... uh, the whole sermon was on hope, and so you can go back and grab that online if you like. I'm not going to rehash all of that. We unpacked what hope is and what hope isn't and how do you get it and all that sort of thing. So you can, you can uh, head online to grab that. But the big idea that we were stressing is hope in the Bible is different than hope in this world. When we talk about hope in the world, it usually is sort of wishful thinking. Well, I hope this works. I hope that works. I hope this is okay. I hope this happens. I hope it doesn't happen. Biblical hope is different. Biblical hope is a stead fast confidence that God is who he says he is and will do what he has promised that he will do, right? From God's word, we get hope that God is who he says he is and he will do what he promises to do. And in that we hope. And the Bible would say that hope will never disappoint you because God is not going to change. He is not a shifting shadow. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Even though we fail, he never does. Even though we deny him, he never denies us because he cannot deny who he is. We hope in God. I want you to see today, though, I want to kind of piggyback off that just for a quick second. And again, you can go back last week and kind of grab where hope comes from and how we get that. But I want to highlight today the importance of this. This really matters. Us living and experiencing real hope in God. The Bible says that you and I, our hope in crazy situations, in not-so situations, the situations where every rational person would say you have absolute right to freak out, and you don't. You are at peace because your hope is in God. The Bible's going to say that that is an amazing apologetic to the world. The word apologetic doesn't mean to apologize. It's from a Greek word, apologeo. It means defense. A great defense for the gospel is the hope that Christians live in. In fact, the Bible says this. We won't throw it up on the screen, but you can jot it down if you'd like. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. The great defense for the gospel is Christians who have hope when there is no reason to live in hope. After the sermon last week, I had one of our guys come up to me. He said, oh man, I got a great story about that. He said, we were part of a church in Louisiana when we were living down there. And um, we had a couple in our church that were missionaries. And they were retired and, and, and uh, lived there and were a part of our church. And they had this amazing story. They were, um, they were on a plane that was hijacked. Like they were on a hijacked plane. He said, and everybody on the plane is freaking out. Right? It's, it's obvious. Everybody knows what's happening. And his wife said, they were up on stage. She said, I looked over at him about halfway through all of this, and he's got the biggest smile on his face. Like, he's just smiling. She said, why are you smiling? He said, worst thing that can happen to me today is I graduate and go to heaven. I got no reason to be upset. And just sat there 
smiling. What is that? Insanity? Or is that a supernatural kind of hope that, come on, wouldn't you love to have that? Wouldn't you love to have that? That kind of hope? That kind of hope that even when the situation looks as bleak as possible, it's not that you're ignorant, it's not that you're foolish, it's not that you're crazy. You are very well aware of the seriousness of the situation. And even more so than you know the seriousness of the situation, you know the God in whom you have hope. And so you can rejoice. It's totally different. What I want you to see is that kind of hope is available for you in Christ. Again, what I want you to see and understand is that is available for you. How do you get that? How do you have that kind of hope? Pile up wood in your fire pit and pray for the Spirit of God to bring a spark. Pile up wood. Be in God's Word. You cannot have hope that God is going to be who He is and do what He promises to do if you don't know who He is and what He promises to do. Be in the Word. Be around brothers and sisters in Christ who are going to keep pointing you to who God is and what God's promised to do. Those are ways that you're, you're piling up wood in your fire pit. And you pray, Holy Spirit, bring a spark. When I need it, give me that kind of hope. Give me that kind of hope when I need it in you. That is available for you in Christ. The next thing I want you to see also in verse 18, another thing that he prays, that we would see and know what God really thinks of us. Verse 18 Again, it's going to say that we have the eyes of our hearts open, that we may know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. He's talking about God here. What are the riches of God's, what are, what, God's glorious inheritance in the saints? For, for a long time, I misunderstood that verse. I thought it was talking about the inheritance that I get, that we get as Christians. And indeed, we do. I mean, we, we get a great inheritance. We get God, right? Verse 11 is going to say that we get heaven. We get great inheritance. But verse 18 here is not talking about our inheritance. He's talking about God, something that God gets. So what does God get in salvation? Well, God gets you, and God gets the glory for saving people like you and I. God gets an inheritance. God gets a people redeemed to worship him and glorify him for all of eternity. We are part of what God gets in glory and honor for saving us. Listen to me very carefully. One of the greatest things that can happen to you today is have the Spirit of God bring understanding in your hearts to begin to see and understand what God thinks of you. What God thinks of you. How does God view you? How does God see you? That changes everything. Because if you have a a twisted, warped, demented, skewed understanding of how God sees you, if you think God is overbearing, you think God is judgmental, if you think God is just waiting for you to mess up, if those are the ways that you think about God, then that is going to drastically change the way you view him, live in him, walk in him. But when you begin to understand what God really thinks of you, how God sees you in Christ, man, it changes everything. Do you really see and understand who you are in Christ? 
having that switch in my mind. So there are a few things. I'm 45 years old. I've been walking with Jesus for uh, decades. But there are a few times in my life that I look at and say, okay, that, that light bulb moment changed my life. Right? Most of your Christian life is just it's a walk by faith, right? It's this step, it's this step, it's this step, it's this step. You look up one day and you go, wow, I've really grown. Like, like your kids. You don't see your kid grow. How do you know your kid's growing? Well, they walk downstairs one day and their pants are all the way up their calf. Like, what happened to you? Right? They're walking through the kitchen and they're a foot taller than you are. Like, How did that happen? It's slow over time. That's a lot of spiritual growth. Most of it is slow over time. And... There are some moments, you may only have two or three in your life, where it is just shifting and changing at an instant. One for me was this. I was going through a time in my life where um, I just felt miserable. Like I just felt lousy. Emotionally, spiritually, mentally, physically. I just, I had no motivation for anything. I didn't exercise. I didn't read like I typically read. I, 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 I was just eating junk. I was quick-tempered, easily frustrated. So not being a great husband or dad or pastor or friend. And I had a buddy of mine that led a counseling ministry, and I called him up and said, hey, let's go get some lunch. So we went and grabbed lunch, and we were just you know, catching up, chit-chatting, whatever. And so I said, so the reason I called is um, I think I'm broken. Like something's wrong with me. I said, okay, well, I, I don't think you're irreparably broken. But let's, let's chat. Right? And so for about once a month um, for the next year, I went and met with my counselor. And we walked through stuff. And we sat down the very first time. He said, all right, I'm going to pretend like we don't know each other. We're just going to start from the very beginning, fresh slate, so I can get a good idea of where we're going. Um, so right off the bat, you just tell me what's the most important thing about Brad Lynch. And, and just at the essence at the core, who are you? I said, well, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a husband. I'm married to Marie. He said, no, 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 but, but really, who are you? I said, well, uh I'm a dad, right? I got, I got four kids. He said, no, 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 but, but really, who are you? Like, I'm a pastor. No, 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 but really. And so this goes on for like 10 minutes. I'm running out of stuff. I'm like, I like sushi. Like, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm running out of stuff. I don't know what we're doing. I feel like there's an answer you're looking for I'm not giving you. So we, if we can just, we're running out of time. If you can just tell me what I'm doing here. He said, you know, Brad, we have sat for 10 minutes. And I've asked you over and over and over to tell me the most important thing about me. And you have yet to mention the fact that you are a redeemed son of God. You have yet talked anything about Jesus, who he is, what he has done for you, who he is in you, and what he is currently right now doing through you. And I sat there, and that was one of those two or three in my lifetime moments where at that at, at Sitting right there, I remember it vividly. I tell you what the couch looked like. I can tell you what his chair looked like. I can tell you the pictures that were on his desk. It was like that moment is frozen in time. It was one of those, boom, life-shifting moments. It hit me. I'm not living out of the reality of who God is, what he has done for me and through me in Christ, 
and what he really believes and thinks of me as his son. It changed everything. And I want to encourage you, that has the opportunity to radically change you. I want to encourage you, pile up wood in your fire pit. Be in God's word. Be in prayer. Be around people who are going to point you to Jesus. Pile up wood in your fire pit to know who God really is and what he really thinks of you as a son and daughter of God. And pray the Spirit of God sets a spark there. It'll change your life. It'll change your life. Uh, the third thing that we see is, um, says, pray that we would see and know God's power at work in us. Look at verse 19. Listen to the way he's describing this power. He's praying that we would know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. As you read through that, I want you to see he is piling up these power words, right? The immeasurable greatness of his power. As you see this, his power, his strength, his might, his authority, I want you to see that that same power is alive and active in you and I. How does he describe the power? He says in verse 20 and 21 that, that it is the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in you. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is at work in you. There's no situation worse than death. Can we agree on that? Right? Death, you don't come back from that. Right? That is done. But it says the same power that brought Jesus back from the grave is at work in you and I. That means there is nothing in your life, no situation, no circumstance, nothing in your life outside of the power of Jesus Christ to bring great and glorious change to. Anything can be done. If God can bring Jesus back from the dead, he can do something in your situation as well. There's nothing that escapes him, nothing beyond him. And, and as the Apostle Paul is writing to this Ephesian church in Ephesus, there was a lot of witchcraft, a lot of demonic forces. In fact, if you go to Acts chapter 19, when the Apostle Paul goes into Ephesus and starts preaching the gospel, there's an immediate collision between Paul and those practicing the occult, practicing witchcraft. Immediate fights there in the spirit. You've got some really interesting stories in there about the seven sons of Sceva who thought, hey, Paul's doing some cool stuff. Let's do that. And so he goes, these, these guys, you know, the seven sons of Sceva, they, they go to a demon-possessed man. And they're like, hey, in the name of Jesus, who Paul talks about, come out. And the demons start talking back. Not great. And the demons talk back, and the demons say, so Jesus we know, and Paul we've heard of. Who exactly are you guys again? And then it says the demon-possessed guy jumps on the seven sons and beats them naked. 
Like, if you get beat up, that's one thing. If you get the clothes beat off of you, you just got whooped, right? Like, there is, there is no coming back from that. That's a soul wound in your heart that never heals. But I want you to see, even in that, you'd see a story like that and go, oh, man, demonic forces. Paul preaches the gospel. And look what happens. Listen to this. Acts 19, verse 18. People started getting saved. These demonic, inspired, empowered, pursuing, loving, worshiping people. It says, and also many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found that it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. What I want you to see is there's nothing that Jesus, the resurrection power of Jesus Christ and his gospel cannot overthrow. I can't change. Yes, you can. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of you. I can't forgive. Yes, you can. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of you. I can't stay in this marriage. I can't handle these kids. Yes, you can. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of you. When we experience, when we live, when we come to the point where, we, where, where, where it's settled in our hearts that this power is in me through faith in Jesus Christ. This power, it is there. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. This great and immeasurable power of God dwells in me through faith in Jesus Christ. I can walk with courage and faith and hope. In every situation. You see how this changes your life? Like if you have the eyes of your heart open to see and understand that that is true of you, you don't walk out of here today defeated. You walk out of here today as someone through faith in Jesus Christ has the literal resurrection power of Jesus inside of you. You see how that changes things? You see how that could potentially change the way you view circumstances and situations in your life? The resurrection power of Jesus is inside of us. How do we live in that? How do we walk in that? Stack up wood in your fire pit and pray that the Spirit of God brings a spark. Sets that on fire. Opens the eyes of your heart to see it and receive it. And and, and then I want you to see this this last prayer here. I think this is so cool. This, This one may take you by surprise a little. We're to pray that we would see and know the beauty of the church. The beauty of the church. What does that mean? Where does that come from? And why does that matter? Verse 22. And he, that's God the Father, put all things under his, Jesus the Son's feet, and gave him, Jesus, as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Christ has been given to the church, and this highlights how important the church is in seeing with our spiritual eyes. The experience of the grace of God is uniquely found in this place where Jesus has been placed as the head. Listen to me very carefully, and I'm not saying this because I'm just a pastor. I I actually had a conversation with a couple just this week. 
And I told them, listen, if for whatever reason you can't get plugged in at Southview, go somewhere else. That's okay. Find where you can. I care way more about your soul than I do seeing how many people I can cram into this room to hear me talk. Because there is a direct correlation between your engagement with the body of Christ and the eyes of your heart open to see God for who he truly is. Those two are connected. Those two are connected. Could it be that there are levels of understanding and walking in who God is and what that means for you and experiencing God that you're not walking in and experiencing and living in because you have neglected the one place he has set up to be the avenue by which you experience that. This is it. This is the place. Now he's talking about Big C Church, the entire church, but the way that you live out what God is doing in the Big C Church is by being plugged into a local church. This is it. During our last new members class that we just finished up and presented those folk a couple weeks ago, I had four people from that class come and sit down with me and say, I, until I went through this, and y'all went through all the scriptures and unpacked everything the Bible says about the church, until this, I never understood how important the church was or how important covenant membership was. And I really wish somebody would have told me that a long time ago. It matters. This is the avenue by which God has set up for you to more adequately see and experience God for who he is. This matters. It, my, our, our oldest is off in college. And we lived this. We told her. Like you, you find a church, you join that church. Don't be like every other kid up there that just finds the church with the best band and pops in for 45 minutes on a Sunday. You plug in. You commit yourself. You covenant with that church. You find a small group of believers that you can know and love and minister to and they can know and love and minister to you because your soul needs that. And I'll tell you the same thing I tell my daughter. Your soul needs that. Your soul needs that. Well, we're not going to be here for long. Well, she's not going to be in Clemson for long. I hope. Okay, you're there for a few years. You're here for a few years. You're going to PCS somewhere else. Okay. Let us be your covenant body while you're here. That's 12 months, 18 months, two years, three years. Well, hey, that's okay. We'll pour into you as we can. And when you go, we'll send you off with blessing. Praying that you'll find the next place that you can covenant with to grow in greater experiencing who God really is. So why does all this matter? What's the point of it all? Why does it matter? 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. I want you to see there the connection between you being transformed into the image of Jesus is connected to you seeing God. 
as we behold him, as we look to him intently, we're transformed from one degree to another. Slow, over time, a process like your kids growing. But it's happening. And it's happening through you more intently and more intently and more intently beholding Jesus, seeing him, having the spiritual eyes of your heart open to see him more clearly. That's our prayer for you today, that the eyes of your heart will be open to see God for who he truly is. Experience him and live in this. We want to give some time to pray. All of this, again, is couched in prayer. This whole passage is a prayer. So we need to pray. Again, as we stack up wood in the fire pit of our heart, we want to pray the Spirit of God will bring a spark. So for you, as we look through these things today, we want to pray that we'll see and know the certainty of our hope that's in God that we will see and know how God really sees us and thinks of us. That we would see and know God's power that's at work in us. That would see and know the beauty and power and importance of the church. And maybe for today, maybe there's just one of those that just kind of hits you a little different. One that just kind of wells up. You want to focus in on? That's great. We want to take some time today and let you pray. Seek the Lord. Asking Him, asking Him to give you eyes to see who He really is. And that you then wouldn't just know it in your head, but you would experience and live it in your heart. So I'm asking you to bow your heads for me. And I just want to give you a couple of minutes. Take this time. Ask the Lord to open your heart to see. just in like this, but I want us to pray in, in singing. Um, I'm going to ask you to stand, if you could. Just everyone stand for me. And, and we're going to, our band is going to lead us here in a moment. You can come down front and pray. You can sit back down and pray where you are. You can do whatever you'd like. But I want us to focus in on the importance of faith in this. So my wife and I were talking with some folk this week and we were walking through some things with them and she had a really great point she looked at them kind of towards the end and said okay so here's the thing um, we can tell you these things we can point you to these things 
We can teach you these things. What we can't do is believe it for you. That we can't do. That's something you have to do. You've got to trust God in your own heart. You've got to have faith and believe for this for yourself. We can't do that for you. And so for us, that's where I want us to spend our time here as we end. Praying, singing, prayer singing, that we would be a people who believes God for this trust God walks by faith in this. So Lord God, this is our desire, that we would believe you are who you say you are. You do what you say you do. We just trust you in that. So God, build us up in faith today as we pursue you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. you
God, we do. We believe for this. We trust you for this. I pray, God, for us here in this room that that have faith but may even be honest and say they struggle. I thank you, God, that your word says in the gospel of Mark, this dad brought his son to be healed by Jesus. And Jesus says, if you, have, if you believe, I can do it. And the dad says, I believe, but help my unbelief. There's in all of us, God, perhaps this, this place in us, we're still starting to struggle a little bit. Can God really do that? God, I thank you that when that dad said that to you, you did not look at him and say, well, when you get that figured out, come back. You healed his son. I thank you that you take that small mustard seed of faith and use it to bring great and glorious things in your name. So Jesus, I pray that you would help us to grow in faith as we trust you. Thank you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. God bless you guys. I love you. I'll see you at the lake.